Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. LeaningTowardWisdom.com, the website. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio, version 2.0. Version 2.0 is still here. Not long for the world, but still here for the moment. Hey, today let's talk about leaning toward less. You've been hearing about my purging of possessions, but let's expand the horizon on the whole less thing because it can include things like relationships, ambitions and pursuits. Any kind of activity can include just about anything. Let's talk about it. As I hit the record button today is Wednesday, August the 10th, 2022. It's the first day of school for a lot of kids around here. And we are in desperate need of rain. We're 60 some odd days into a drought. A little bit of rain hit yesterday, but nothing official, so it didn't count. That's kind of weird. Hope everything is well with you. Thanks for clicking play. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. I appreciate your time and your attention. Uh, Let's see if we can uh, give you something that's worthwhile. Something valuable to think about as you make your commute or as you run on the treadmill or walk your dog or whatever it is you do when you listen to podcasts but thank you for clicking play from 30 feet away a shotgun blast will disperse i don't know dozens and dozens of those little pellets all over a broad area now the greater the distance for the way you are the wider that spread of pellets It's why the sawed-off shotgun works so well, because it's a wide dispersion over a shorter period of time. It's illegal, of course, but never mind that. A rifle, on the other hand, just shoots a single bullet, just this one projectile. It only creates one hole in the target. However, it is able to do it from a much greater distance with accuracy. Well, if you're a good enough shooter. The energy behind a shotgun, it propels dozens and dozens of these little BB-like projectiles toward the target, while the rifle just focuses all of that energy into a single, admittedly much larger, bullet. So I'm bringing this up to give you a metaphor, a visual image. Focusing on less is rifle-like, multitasking like a madman, going in a whole bunch of different directions. It's more shotgun-like. Years ago, I'm working with a client. um, Super hyper, easily distracted. Saw opportunities everywhere. Everybody that he met, he he saw some, yeah, you know, hey, they could could help do this, and I could connect them with. it It was like that little kid in Sixth Sense. Everywhere he looked, he saw dead people. Okay, well, this guy, everybody that he talked to, uh, everything that he thought about, 
it was an opportunity. It was a business opportunity. Now he admittedly was pretty entrepreneurial. So he was kind of bent that way, but it could just be exhausting. Well, it was for me. I don't know about him. So one day I create this illustration. I get a plain piece of white paper and I got a Sharpie and I draw this circle. In fact, I later on, in fact, it was much later on. I created a video because I found myself using this illustration, uh, for some other people. So I created a one minute, 21 second video. There is no audio. There's no sound. I'll embed it in the show notes. Just go to leaning toward wisdom.com episode. Just find the episode leaning toward less. And by the way, if you want to search for anything, just go to the search tab on the website navigation and you'll be able to find, you can plug in whatever you want. You can find whatever you want that way. So just food for thought. So you can watch that video, but you're listening to me. So let's see if I can describe this without belaboring it. So I got a plain white piece of paper. I draw a circle. This circle is, I don't know, five inches in diameter or so. And I put a dot right in the middle of it. And I explained to him, now this dot represents the starting point. The circle represents success. It represents achievement of the goal. So until you get from the center dot to the outer circle, you're just working towards success. You haven't achieved it yet. He's like, okay, yeah, makes sense. So I put an X on the circle and I said, this, this represents goal. Number one, objective number one. And then I, from the center circle, I just put three dots pretty close to each other from the center dot toward that X. I said, okay, so you've taken three steps toward that goal. You with me? Yeah. Well, now let's, Hey, here's something else. Here, here's, here's another pursuit we could have. So I draw another X on the circle and I do the exact same thing. I said, so now we're going to take three, we're going to take three steps toward that one. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here's, here's a new idea. So I draw a third X and I do the exact same thing. And we're going to take three steps toward that one. So he's looking at this and I said, so what we've got is we've got, Hey, that was a great idea. This, this was a great idea. Hey, this other thing is a great idea. And we've now taken action toward all three. Yeah. Here's the problem. Let's assume for the sake of this argument that it takes 10 steps to get from the start to finish from start to success from start to profit. How many steps have you taken? He's looking, well, there's three steps in each direction. There's three directions. So nine. That's right. Had you remained focused on any one of the X's, you would be one step away from hitting the target. How many steps away are you? He's looking at it and he said, well, I'm, I'm seven steps away from any of them. I said, that's right. You're not even a third the way toward achieving any of these. And we stopped at three. How many, how many balls are you juggling right now? Well, then I forgot the number, but it wasn't three. It was more than three. I was attempting to explain to him that if his attention could be more narrowly focused, and I said, listen, it's your life. You can do what you want. I'm not telling you what to do. 
I'm just making an observation here that if you could more narrowly focus your energy, then you could take the steps necessary to achieve more goals, but it's entirely up to you. Now, sidebar here, your honor, there is this whole other thing afoot. And that is, is succeeding at the goals. Was that really the objective? Because over time, what we seem to unearth was he mistook motion for action. What he was most addicted to, quite frankly, and I don't use that word lightly. He was addicted to the action. He was addicted to the activity. He was much less focused. In fact, he wasn't that much focused at all. Come to tell you the truth, as far as achieving, getting to the X, it was the activity that was involved that he was kind of hooked on running around with his hair on fire was kind of, that was kind of the point. Now he realized it wasn't profitable for him. It was probably not the ideal way to go. So the question became, well, how, how can he, how can he scratch the itch to just constantly be in motion and yet not be a hamster on a wheel where you're just, you're not going anywhere. So that was the work. That was the work. He was busy, busy traveling these short distances in a bunch of different directions, but the goals were, the problem is the goals were all a longer distance away. Short trips do not a vacation trip make short trips. Do not a vacation trip make. That's the power of less. It's the power of embracing or leaning into less, not more. Well, throughout our time together, he discovered that he had a fundamental, a fundamental idea that seemed to be driving some of his behavior. And it's one that we're all guilty of at some point, just throw more stuff at the wall. Something's bound to stick. Right, the gambler can bet on more numbers because, well, surely one of them's going to win. Do enough things and something's bound to succeed. But it never did. Well, or it rarely did. Or he would struggle to maintain enough focus so he could fully exploit that opportunity. And funny thing, no sooner did you get some traction, some momentum, than he's off chasing something else. And I'm like, you know, we are we are we sure you're not really kind of sabotaging yourself? As you get close to success, it's like, man, this is the time to lean in and push even harder. Now, this may not represent your life, but it can represent many of us who suffer distraction, a lack of understanding how, frankly, a lack of understanding that how powerfully freeing limitations are. That's right. More isn't more. Well, not always. Too many choices is too restrictive. And I know that that sounds completely counterintuitive, but my client didn't calculate the importance. My client was focused on the activity. My client was focused on the motion. Now the activity was born from the thought about that X, that goal, but he never did really stop and pause long enough to think through how and where he was investing himself. And whether or not it was the best use of his time, and frankly, whether or not 
he even really wanted to do it. I remember on one occasion he was describing some pursuit and he had set out with great fervor toward this goal only to find out that, you know, the fire burned out pretty quickly. And I likened it and I said, well, you know, you sound like a dog chasing the car cars coming by and you enjoy chasing the car car stops. Now, what are you going to (laughs) do? It's like, do you, is, is the goal? What's the goal here? I mean, if the goal is to just bark, bark at cars that are driving by, well, okay, then just then keep doing that because if there's no purpose, great, there's no purpose, do what you want. But he freely admitted, no, there's a purpose. He did want to achieve some success. He did want to make some of these goals really happen. And he had other goals that seemed like a good idea at the time. But again, when you're looking at everything as an opportunity and everybody that enters your life as a potential prospect for some kind of a deal, it's just too many choices and it's too restrictive. I'm going to give you a link to an article about white paint. That's right. White paint. And in this article, a person claims that there are over 900 shades of white paint, 900 over 900. I mean, it makes me wonder how long designers and customers spend trying to wrestle to the ground. Which shade of white do we, do we want to use? I mean, there's so many choices. It's got to require a lot of time. Don't you think? And imagine the anxiety I'm reading this article and I got to thinking, you know, what if you could, what if you just had five, what if you had to choose among five shades of white paint? Do you suppose the decision would be easier, faster? And do you think that you'd just be sorely disappointed because come on only five, only five when I could have 900 or more, (laughs) I bet you I started to say 99%. I bet you a hundred percent of us would be just as happy with one. If we picked one of, of five, we'd be just as frankly, I think we'd be happier because if you consider the time and the anxiety of agonizing to try to pick among 900 plus, if you just had five, it'd be, it'd be so much easier. Well, I like this one and this one and this one. Okay. Well now we're down to three. Huh? More isn't always better. It's often paralyzing. Are more meetings better? I don't know anybody who says yes to that. More phone calls, more emails, more events on your calendar, more furniture, more toys, more electronics, more clothes, more friends, more events to go to. More vacations. Well, okay. More vacations may always be good. There is no secret. There is no formula. I know, I know. We're all busy. We're looking for it. And sometimes we get fooled by the whole formula or secret mentality, diligently searching for and investing in some template, some template that we can follow to just get the result we want. Wrongly thinking that if we could precisely follow the path of a person who's already done it, a successful, successful person, we, we too, we too would be successful problem. There's too many variables. Now we've already talked about how time is a factor. So with my client, it's Let's suppose that it's a 10 step. It's going to take some time to get from start to finish. Things take time, but there's also timing when things happen that matters. 
And then there's this third differentiator, talent. Now, I'm just giving you three. There's more. Time, that is time required. Timing, that is when, and talent. My son called me the other day. He was on his way to a job. He's the owner of a small business, his own. Um, real proud of him. He's worked like a madman to launch, build, and grow his business. Well, some years ago before he started it, I was cheering him on because I knew he had the stuff to succeed. I get it. It was a big, hairy move, and it, considering that he was leaving one career behind to start a brand new one, especially since he had a family, it didn't matter. I was 100% confident that he would succeed. I was right. Now, he is not like me in some really important ways, ways that I knew would serve him well. Number one, he is overtly extroverted. Number two, he doesn't overthink things. And number three, he doesn't have any reservations about asking. Now, I don't have those, th those three attributes do not describe me, but they do describe him, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. Those are skills that I knew would be very instrumental in helping him become a successful small business owner. So during our conversation the other day, um, we happened to start talking about how one size doesn't fit all and that people can do, or they can attempt to do the exact same thing, but that doesn't mean that they're going to end up in the exact same place. And I made a remark, talent is the big differentiator. And so he commented that somebody had asked him about how he had started his business and what did he do and why was he so successful? It was somebody else, uh, in, in another part of the world who was wanting to do what he does. And so he explained to them and he said, he said, they did everything I told them to do. I mean, everything. And they gained some traction, uh, you know, but things just really didn't stick. And so being his dad, it was easy for me to make this remark. And I said, well, cause they're not you. The difference is you. Now he and I both know. And so do you that you can't go around spouting off how great you are. Well, okay. If you're Muhammad Ali, you could, but talent is the differentiator. So as I've hit the record button, here we are. Football training camps are underway in the NFL. College programs are in full swing. They're less than a month away now from games. Uh, teams are ramping up, rosters getting set, positions being solidified, game plans are being formulated. You know, these teams, many of these teams are implementing the exact same schemes or strategies. Coaches are frequently coaching the exact same techniques and tactics. But on Saturday, when the kids play, or Sunday, when the big pro kids play, when these games are played, one team's going to win, one team's going to lose. And you and I both know it's based mostly on the talent on the field and how well that talent can execute the play. Talent makes the difference. And we don't often enough want to give talent due credit. I suspect one reason is because there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Yes, you can develop it for sure. But I gave you three attributes that my son has. I don't. Can I do some things to compensate for my lack of those things? Absolutely. And that's work I have put in all my life. They're natural for him. They're not for me. So I can work to improve them, but I'm not foolish enough to think that I could work and work and work and I could 
become as good as he is in those. No, I can't. I can't because it's not where my natural talent is. My natural talents are in some other places. And by the way, where my natural talents are in those places may not be very strong suits for him in those areas. So we've got to focus. We've got to focus. And we do focus. We focus on things like, well, hard work and effort and focus things that we can more easily control. And we kind of dismiss the whole talent thing. I bring this up because it relates to our topic of leaning toward less and it can include less ambition. Now, hang on with me. I'm not talking about giving up. I'm not talking about accepting mediocrity. I'm not talking about being a sloth. I'm talking about looking at our ambitions and our strengths. Like I just have done with me and my son and our differences I'm talking about ambition in the sense of wanting to be more than your talent will allow Michael Jordan, for whatever reason, he left the NBA to become a minor league baseball player talent coupled with, he was a little older. It would not allow him to succeed in baseball. He was never going to achieve in baseball. What he did in basketball, no amount of effort was going to make Mike a major league baseball star. He couldn't even become a minor league baseball star. He was not going to become a suitable rostered utility player in the majors. He simply wasn't good enough. Spectacular athlete, but a basketball in his hands. He's Michael Jordan. He's air Jordan, Put a baseball bat in his hand, put a glove on his hand. He's just a dude. Now, I know your mama told you you could grow up and be anything you wanted, and I know she loves you. The world doesn't love you that much. <laughs> she lied. Not knowingly, perhaps. I'm not saying she's a bad human, but she did lie to you. You can't be anything you want to be. The key is to find that magical intersection that Sir Ken Robinson so eloquently spoke about and wrote about during his lifetime between what you most want to pursue and where your natural talents are. That intersection, Sir Ken calls the element. You're in your element. Spend your time there. That is the point of less being more when it comes to ambition. Now, most of us, quite honestly, we don't spend our time there because we don't know where there is. Where is the magical intersection between what you most want and your natural talent? Many of us sadly don't know. We don't know. We've not pursued enough to really think through what do we most want? What is our ideal outcome? Where are my natural talents? Because it's easy for us to just look at other people and to wish we were like them. Now, these three skills that my son naturally has, I could look at him with envy. I could even look at him with jealousy. I could say, man, I wish I, or I could look at him and, and try to convince myself. Yeah, well, he got those from me. No, he didn't get those from me because I don't have those, but I could delude myself. I could try to convince myself that I do, but I'd be wrong. Limiting ourselves is hard and it's counterintuitive. Mostly we tend to think we'll throw it against the wall. Something's bound to stick, but that's exhausting, especially after you've just been throwing stuff and throwing stuff and throwing stuff and very few things, if anything, seem to stick. Shotguns. We're using shotguns for work that are rifle 
would be used for scattered effort, scattered attention versus a more precisely targeted effort shotguns. The blast is broad. Now I don't know. I, 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 I get really fascinated with long range shooting. I don't own guns. I don't have guns. I don't really, I don't like being around guns, but I, I am rather fascinated with the skill of long range accuracy shooting and just all of the work, all of the practice that goes into this. I mean, for somebody to take a shot and to hit something over a mile away just seems ridiculous to me. Now I'm not saying that guys that are really good with shotguns don't put in practice, but it's a whole different animal and we're using shotguns quite frankly, because well, it just seems easier. We'll just blast here and we'll blast there. and We'll blast there. You've got to really stop and be focused and be way more precise. If you got a rifle in your hands, my theory is quite often we don't, we don't like that. We don't have enough patience for the rifle. <laughs> We've got patience for the shotgun. Hey, blast here. Hey, here's something. Let's blast over there. Problem. We're not hitting anything. When I began to think about some of these things, this power of less, and I began to think about how it impacted my life. And frankly, the way it impacted my life was by providing me with more. I started thinking about the power of letting go. And I, I was thinking about it in the context of if you're going to grab on something else, you've got to let go. You remember the monkey bars that you played on in, as a kid? Well, if you're old like me, you did. And you're swinging from one bar to the next bar and you could hang on. You can hang on to the bar right behind your head and the bar right in front of your head. And now you're just hanging on, but you've got to swing and then you got to grab the next bar. But in order to grab the next bar, you got to let go of the bar you got a hold of. And I kept thinking about these two ideas of letting go of that because, well, that was then this is now letting go of something that's less valuable for something more valuable. And initially I was going to make two separate episodes, but I kept thinking about these, these conflicting, contrasting, seemingly ideas and how congruent they are. And I couldn't ignore it. They just belong together. I look around our house and I think, you know, I'd like to have less furniture. We don't use all the furniture we have. Do you use all your furniture? I mean, some of it, we've just got it to fill a space. And I look at it now and that just seems like a foolish choice. I think of the things that I love to use. I've talked about these before things that I use all the time, a favorite, a favorite. Well, now it's a tumbler, a favorite fork, a favorite bowl. That's right. I mean, three really basic inexpensive things. I use them all the time. I love them. I don't, I use them to the exclusion of everything else. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't have a single choice. I don't make a single choice when it comes to a fork or a bowl or this tumbler, this drinking vessel. Now letting go can be a challenge. I get it. Been there, done it. I know because we avoided it. My wife and I of 44 and a half years, we avoided it for years. Now we wish we would have embraced it years ago. Doesn't matter because we're now about a month in, we got around to it. And you know what? Once we got started, the momentum picked up really quickly. The difficulty was getting started. There's stuff and then there's furniture, which is okay. It's also stuff. It's just bigger. And people will often 
you know, you'll say, well, listen, I would like a room with a lot less furniture. Yeah, but the room would look so empty to which I would say, what's wrong with that? I mean, there's something refreshing to me about empty space. Let's just start right here with the yellow studio. And it does sound a little bit different. You know why it sounds a little bit different. I'm not surrounded by books anymore. All the books are gone. Now for years, I've had these four large floor to ceiling bookcases. I've had four other small bookcases that fold up. Uh, two drawer lateral file cabinet, a six block cube storage unit, a 62 inch tall four sided CD carousel, um, a, a few other pieces of furniture, including chairs. Mostly it's a big six foot conference table that has been repurposed as a broadcast table, my main workspace. So a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff in the yellow studio and it's all going, it's all going. I mean, I got, I got two little pieces of furniture I might keep and heavy emphasis on the word might. I got a single drawer letter size file cabinet cart kind of a thing. It's got a top on it and it's got a, a, a single file drawer. And then I've got, and it's high utility and I've got also a rolling cart. That's, I don't know, three feet, two and a half, three feet wide. That's a like a computer stand has a retractable keyboard drawer, metal, high utility, both of them on rollers. I might keep those two things and I'm keeping the cube, the cube thing, but that's it. That's it. Everything else is going to go. The subtraction, a lot of furniture that's letting go. And you know what? Feels stinking. Awesome. Feels awesome. But I look around, I look around the house at furniture that we never use. It's ornamental. And I don't even enjoy the ornamental part of it. <laughs> so months ago, I started writing down what my, I'm not going to walk you through the whole stinking house. So I'm, I'm, I'm writing down my ideal outcome of what, what life would be like furniture wise. I keep in mind, I got a wife and I'm far more interested in her achieving her ideal outcome because honestly, I just don't care that much. I mean, I've already purged. I don't know, 90% of all my possessions. So I'm good. I've won already. My ideal outcome though, when it comes to letting go of furniture would mean, for instance, in our bedroom, we have a bed. We each have a nightstand on our side of the bed. We have a bench at the foot of the bed. Yeah. I know you're not supposed to have one in the bedroom, but we do a TV and have a TV and you know, the stand that's high enough, the one that we've got. And that's it. That's it. I don't, I don't need anything else inside the closet can be storage for underwear, socks, all that stuff. I don't need a chest of drawers. I don't need a dresser. I mean, the thought of all that wall space, you're going to laugh at this after the purge had started, I'm, I'm immediately, I'm accessing baseboards, right? I'm on my hands and knees and I'm vacuuming. I'm vacuuming baseboards. Some of these baseboards, who knows how long it's been since they were vacuumed. It's pretty thrilling. And listen, just thinking about that kind of an environment calms me. I can't explain this. I was telling my wife, I was telling my wife and my son and my daughter-in-law, I said, you know, there's something refreshing about having access to baseboards, to being able to vacuum regularly baseboards. Take a look around your house. How many baseboards do you absolutely not have access to the furniture that's in front of, I mean, come on, you got four big bookcases filled with books. You're not getting behind those. 
you're never getting behind those until you empty them and until you move. And I'm like, you know, it would be pretty great if you could configure so that we can, I can get behind everything anytime I want. Yeah, I know. I'm weird like that. This is not about getting rid of things just to get rid of things. This is not about getting rid of things that you love. You could say, Hey, get rid of that favorite fork, get rid of that favorite bowl, get rid of that favorite tumbler. And I'm like, no, I'm not letting those go. I like those too much. So in this process of letting go, I'm just unburdening. And Rhonda's got sewing supplies and she's got sewing stuff. And so she's watching me purge. And so early, early on, she holds up something that's got to do with her sewing craft and saying, you know, I really should sell that. And I'm immediately looking at it and go, no, no, you shouldn't. I don't want you to get rid of things just to get rid of things. Your sewing supplies are not a burden. They're a valuable resource and you need these things and you need space because well, the craft that you love requires it. Now tap the brakes and don't go thinking, well, my, aren't you a loving, accommodating husband? Um, I'm trying to be, I'm driven to make her happy, but this really is a lesson about how two completely different people, admittedly a husband and a wife who are into two completely different things. She's into sewing. I'm into, well, let's say podcasting and we can approach simplification in our own ways. And we respect each other enough to realize our approaches are going to be different. The space and the equipment and the stuff required to podcast is way different than the stuff necessary to be into sewing. She's got a lot of sewing supplies. She's got fabric. She's got equipment. She's got furniture that is necessary for the craft. A lot of, a lot of parts and pieces that are necessary. So this isn't a competition. This isn't a contest. This isn't a comparison. She loves what she loves and I love her and I don't want her getting rid of stuff just to get rid of it because she's into something that is different than what I'm into. You ever watch these HGTV shows and a couple's having a house built, or maybe they're having a remodel done and the designer takes them to go look at countertops or something or flooring. Are you like me? Do you cringe when the husband has some serious disagreement with the wife over the veins in the granite? She picks a piece of granite. And he's like, well, I don't know. You know, the veins in that granite. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I'm sitting here looking at this dude and I'm thinking, dude, what do you care let her have what she wants. I mean, she isn't wanting a purple countertop with go leaf trim. Yeah, I would object to that, but I didn't marry a girl that would pick something like that. So what do I care? She's not going to dictate. Rhonda is not going to dictate, for instance, the kind of desk that is going to be the focal point for the yellow studio version 3.0. I am not going to dictate to her sewing space well okay other than to make sure she doesn't let go of something she might regret just because she sees me getting rid of so much stuff and it's not a competition major point i'm getting rid of stuff that i never use stuff that i don't want stuff that i don't need if she wants to do the same thing that's her choice but don't just do it to do it i'm going to give you a major musical point here midnight pilot I have inserted, I've embedded over at the show notes, two tunes. One is called Let Go. Imagine that. Yeah, it's a great video. It's a great song. Midnight Pilot. They deserve success. I can't let go, speaking of letting go, I can't let go of wanting them to achieve their musical dreams. Now, sidebar, Your Honor. 
you can't want it for somebody, but I do. (laughs) I hope they're able to persist before they let go. So I'm going to give a shout out to Grant, Kyle, Chris, and Dustin. I don't know them personally. I know them through social media. Years ago, I did an episode and I featured some of their music. Yeah, yeah, I know. You're not supposed to do that. Well, I did it. And they were quite happy about it, by the way. I was trying to promote them. And I did promote them and I still promote them. You can't find that episode now. I took it down. But over the course of that, I engaged them in social media. And I really love their music. These are guys that came from Michigan, moved to Nashville, and the music is just, it's, it's just terrific. I'm going to embed another tune called better man. So there's two videos. Please click play. Please watch and listen to these guys. Midnight pilot. I hope they hang on. I want them to hang on. Now you and I both know, yep, they got talent. There's no question, but man, they're in a hard, hard, hard game where talent can be the big differentiator, but there's a whole lot more going on, right? They need a break. I hope they get a break. I hope they hang in there enough to get the break. We'll see. Now let's mix and mingle these two contrasting ideas of letting go and hanging on. Flipping the script on the power of letting go is the power of hanging on, the power of holding on for dear life. I'm kind of hoping Midnight Pilot holds on for dear life so that they can succeed in this really tough game of the music business. And part of all of this is that we have got to come face to face with a fact that we own it. The circumstances of our life, the outcomes of our life, we've got to choose what we're going to hang on to and what we're going to let go of. And only we can decide. These guys, Grant, Kyle, Chris, and Dustin, are going to have to decide as a group, have we hung on as long as we want to hang on? I want them to hang on, but it's not my life. It's their life. I want them to do what they want to do. But owning the outcome of the life doesn't mean that we're to blame. Are they to blame because maybe they haven't gotten a super big break? No, it doesn't mean everything's our fault. It simply means that we're going to accept responsibility for it. And frankly, we're going to, we're going to get busy figuring out, okay, now what, now what? And this is the hardest thing for us to stop making excuses, to face the reality that we're responsible for our own lives, that we aren't merely victims of circumstance. We're not victims of others. We're not victims of fate. That in spite of the awful things that can happen to us, in spite of the lack of good things that can sometimes happen to us or don't, we have choices. We have choices in how we're going to respond. And that can free us if we can find the courage to unburden ourselves from excuse making. We'd all be better if we slowed down blaming others and would face our own reality that, okay, that happened to me, but this is my life. And now I can choose what I'm going to think, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say. Let me illustrate my own lessons in all this notion of less is more of letting go and hanging on and whatever else you'd like to kind of roll up into this big mishmash of stuff. And if you just think about the craft of podcasting, I can prove to you that less is more. On June the 1st, 2021, I started a new podcast that was more niche than anything I'd ever done. It was about a specific place in Arkansas. Small place population-wise, in fact, about 16,000 people. Now, according to the 2020 U.S. Census, 75% of incorporated places in America have fewer than 5,000 people. Doesn't matter. By any standard, 16,000 people is not a big, big place. Now, geographically, whole different thing. 
this is 26,000 acres of awesomeness. So it's quite the landmass, but you get the drift. Any podcast about a place like this, unless it's a famous, well-known vacation destination or something else worthy of putting it on the map, and this place isn't, it's not going to be a blockbuster podcast. Okay, you're not going to get millions of listens or views on a podcast about the place that we started podcasting about. I started the podcast because I was a visitor and I wanted to know more about this place. I fell in love with it, stumbled onto it quite literally was looking for a place of respite back in 2018, someplace to get away and thought, well, I'm going to start a podcast about this place because I, I want to know more. And I'm, I'm just going to document, I'm going to chronicle this thing. Well, listen, the thing started gaining listeners and viewers and attention more quickly than any podcast I'd ever produced. And, and by the time I started it in June of 2021, I'd been podcasting over 20 years at that point. And here we are now we're well beyond our first year anniversary and we're continuing to gain momentum. I'm confident that we're going to keep working to improve the little show and we're going to become hopefully even more valuable to the audience. And as a result, more popular, we narrowed the focus on a specific place in Arkansas and the places that surround it. And we very quickly found an audience. The reason that that happened, I know intellectually, and I know as a podcaster is because we excluded other areas and communities by doing that. We found a successful home with our audience, not trying to be all things to all people intentionally limiting ourselves to this specific place and the things associated with this place. Whenever we may unintentionally kind of slide a little bit outside that guess what audience tunes out. So we have to lean hard into who we are and what we've set out to do. And when we do that, we grow funny how that works. Now, of course, talent is our limitation, but that's mostly my co-host. <laughs> I'm kidding. My years of business experience taught me the power of narrowing a focus, serving a narrow market. Less is more. I've spent my entire career serving mostly the high end luxury sector and retailing. And by excluding other sectors, it made those marketing efforts pay off more narrowly defining who and what we are made us able to find people who would identify with us and people who were more willing to say, Hey, here I am. You're talking to me. You're talking to me. And yet I know we hear the phrase, well, variety is the spice of life. Well, is it really? I mean, just because it's trite doesn't make it true. And besides define variety, go back. remember the white paint? Is variety 900 plus could variety be five. We're talking about making choices on what we want to include and what we want to exclude. And so we are choosing from a variety of options. This is not about losing our freedom. It's about expanding our freedom. It's about liberating ourselves from lesser things for more important things. And it's not for others to decide for you. It's for you to decide for yourself. And that's why I uttered that phrase. When I was a teenager, you may have recalled the story. I'm working for a tyrant in a stereo shop, <clears throat> everything. I mean, everything seemed to be important. I understand sweat the details and it's all about the detail. I get all that. But during one fateful afternoon, when he had gone off on, on us for something, I made a comment to a coworker. If everything is important, then nothing is important. And it was true. Then it was true when this owner berated us, how everything mattered equally. And it's still true today. 
Because the truth is, you and I both know, and we knew as teenage workers, everything doesn't matter equally. If we refuse to be selective, then we are necessarily saying that nothing has a priority. Well, that's ridiculous. Completely untrue. I'm sorry, I just didn't have time. You ever said that? You ever use that excuse? Well, of course we all have. It's a lie. We all have the time to do it. We just didn't want to. Now, the reasons can vary. Maybe we didn't care about it. Maybe we didn't really want to do it. Maybe we didn't tell you that we didn't want to do it. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of things that were just more important to us is the truth of the matter. It doesn't really matter the reason, but it wasn't a lack of time. Mostly it was a lack of interest. I wasn't interested in doing it, so I didn't do it. But, you know, we're not so bold and brass, brassy to say, I don't want to do it. That's how setting limits is liberating. That's how it's freeing. Seems like it's restrictive, but it's not. I mean, I can attest firsthand now that I've purged about 9% of everything I own, it feels like I've thrown off shackles that weighted me down. I feel lighter, freer, more flexible. And you know what? The 10% that's left over, I kind of love it more. And I don't have any desire to go back. The other night, we're laying in bed and I tell Rhonda, I said, you know, I'm not, I am never going back. She makes the comment. She said, no, we're going to spend the rest of our lives continuing this effort, not amassing things, but getting rid of things. And I liked it. I mean, we both agreed. This is an improvement. This is, this is, this is giving us a feeling that we are willing to pursue the rest of our lives. Now leaning toward less, it has forced us to prioritize. It has made us closely examine things. You know, when I was operating retail businesses, I would regularly put inventory on trial for its life. That is, I would make each item stand on its own merits. Now, maybe that item served a unique purpose, but it had to serve that purpose successfully, or I was going to be happy to replace it. I was completely agnostic toward any particular item. I didn't get romantic. I didn't get sentimental about it. The item either succeeded in fulfilling the purpose or it didn't. Numbers don't lie. So in similar fashion, I took that approach with my leaning toward less with my possessions. I just put them on trial for their life. Now, it it didn't involve the data crunching that I had to do running a retail company. It was much more visceral and, frankly, a whole lot quicker and easier. I would just look at an item or hold an item, and within five seconds, ten seconds max, I knew I'm either going to toss it or keep it. Toss it meant I'm going to donate it, I'm going to sell it, or I'm going to trash it. Keep it means I'm hanging on to it. And now that that work is pretty much complete, I can tell you with absolute certainty, I value the remaining items, as I said, more than I ever have. My feelings are fuller. They're freer. I have less on which to focus, and so it's easy for me to continue to judge these things. And you know what's going to happen? I can tell you what's going to happen. Over time, of the remaining 10%, it's not going to all stand the test of time. Some of that is going to end up going. My possessions fit into one or more of a few buckets. One, they're high utility. Two, they're sentimental. They're priceless. Number three, they're enjoyable. And in all three cases, they enhance my life. They don't burden my life, which is how I was feeling before the purge. Burdened. When we learn to set limits, we learn to leverage them better, but we never figure that out. If we are constantly saying yes to everything and to everybody, it includes possessions. It includes pursuits. It includes relationships. 
I had a wealthy friend one time. He would take one big trip after another. Now we weren't running mates or anything, but we had a friendly relationship. He would take some big trip to say Ireland or Spain or Australia, be gone for 10 days, two weeks, experience everything that his money would buy. And within a week of coming back home, he'd start talking about the next trip and the planning would start and shut your mouth. If within six weeks, he wouldn't be off again, living the high life. I used to watch this and I would just be exhausted (laughs) and I'm not making the trips. Just the mere thought of thinking about it exhausted me. But here he was like a kitten with a new ball of yarn, and a new ball of yarn would roll across the floor, a different ball of yarn, and there he goes, chasing that one, then another one, then another one. He was accumulating a lot of experiences, and it could be argued that the experiences were so vast, so frequent, that nothing was terribly unique about any of them. I mean, even for me, just as a third-party observer, they just kind of began to blur together. I have no idea what it was like for him, but... Something seemed to be missing. Something had to be leaving him empty until he took a new trip and then another trip and then another trip. Never mind the, well, never mind the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I would often silently wonder, wonder why? I mean, for what? To say that you did it, to say you went? I never really knew why, other than he had the money to do it. And so he did it. His money wasn't limitless, but it kind of sort of was. It was enough. It was enough, it limitless enough that he could do this. Now me, I didn't have the resources for any of these choices. So I made very different decisions. I couldn't afford number one. I couldn't afford to take off every six weeks. Number two, I couldn't afford the money to do it. So it was just not a choice. So you could say, well, that's a limitation. Absolutely. And you know what? That, that limitation was pretty freeing. I didn't have his money. So I didn't have his life. He could do whatever he wanted. I respect it. I didn't understand it. Life without limits might seem liberating. I think about some of the mega wealthy, how trapped they are. I'm not playing sour grapes here. I'm being completely sincere about this. I have known enough mega wealthy folks and by mega wealthy, let's call it people that have over a hundred million bucks. I'm, I don't know what the definition would be, but that's mine. The social schedule, I can tell you, is daunting. The request never ending. Everybody's got their hand out. And fear and paranoia, deep, 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 deep. And deservedly so, because every single one of them has more than one story to tell you about a friend, about a close acquaintance, maybe a family member, who took advantage of them, who duped them. And so the paranoia grows, and the relationships, well, they're always questioned. The importance of decisions is magnified. Why? Well, you got a whole lot more to lose. Listen, don't get me wrong. I'd like to be wealthy. I don't want to be mega wealthy. I'd like limitations to my wealth. I've got limitations to my, I know I don't, I wish they weren't quite as limiting as they are, but what if you don't want to simplify? What if you don't want to lean toward less? What if you don't want any of these limitations? What if you enjoy the chaos and the hectic life of spinning plates dawned on me the other day that I I constantly am referring to spinning plates and there's a whole ton of people that have no idea what, what that even means. I grew up watching guys like Eric Brin. Eric Brin was, he was the plate spinner, man. He was on Ed Sullivan's show and all these varieties. Google him E R I C H. His last name is B R E N N better yet. Go to the website, leaning toward wisdom.com. Find this episode leaning toward less. And I'm going to embed a video of his appearance one of his appearances on Ed Sullivan. 
Eric was the man when it came to spinning plates. And if you watch the video, you'll, you're going to be fascinated first of all, and you're going to be entertained. But if you're like me, you're probably at the end of, you're just going to be exhausted. Not to mention, you're probably going to wonder, depending on your age, you're going to wonder why, what, how, how do you, how does this, how does this become a thing? How does this even become an act? You're literally spinning plates. It's entertaining for a while. People that aren't willing to set limits on their pursuits or activities. I refer to them as plate spinners. And when you watch that video, you'll understand it if you don't already, which is great. If you want to spin plates, spin plates. There's just an enormous downside for these people. And there is a universal truth, by the way, about such people. They impose on everybody in their life. I have not found an exception, not yet. Plate spinners demand, knowingly or not, intentionally or not, that everybody around them conform to their way of life. I'm just telling you my experience. Pushing back isn't going to help, by the way. You can push back. I have not found any form of pushing back that works. They're not bad people, but their choices wind up being, I think, mostly unintentionally disrespectful of just about everybody in their wake because you either go with it, build a bridge, get over it, or you fume until you blow the relationship up. I know because I've, I've done all of the above. I've talked with a few close friends who are bent this way. They're plate spinners, right? They're just, they're hyper. They're just from this to that to the other. And I'm convinced that they are completely unaware of the negative impact of their behavior. I'm equally convinced that they don't have a clue how to go about fixing it or doing anything about it to, to, well, fixing it might be too strong, but to, to moderate it. So far, I have yet to encounter anybody who really wanted to change. And I've only really seen one person who confessed deep, 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 deep down that they, they felt like their life would be dramatically better professionally and personally, if they just weren't so scattered, but everybody else openly that I have experienced, they openly talk about how much they love. They love jumping around like a cat on a hot tin roof. It get, there's something that they get from that, that they need. Listen, I believe them. And I only bring this up to show you the difference in humans. And it's not one size fits all. Now I will say this. I believe there is a better way. And I believe that however you are bent, whether you're bent like me or you're bent like the plate spinner, I'm not a plate spinner. There's got to be a way that we can lean more into who we are while we are being more mindful of how our behavior might be negatively impacting not only our results, but might be negatively impacting other people. Maybe it's the thought of leaning less into who we are and how we naturally roll so we can be more mindful of how we might be influencing or even frustrating other people. Let me give you an example. I'll pick on myself. I'm a fixer. I'm a fixer. I'm a tweaker. No, not that kind of a tweaker, not a drug tweak tweaker. I can naturally see how good something is. And in my mind, I'm spotting the good. I'm spotting the strength and I'm not being critical, but I immediately lean into, can that be, can that be made better? Can we improve on that? Can we, can we fix it? Can we make it better? Can we grow it? But experience has taught me that some people no matter how much I explain it, they just see it. They see it different. They see it as me being never satisfied. 
they may see it as me being critical. Now I try to adjust. If I sense the person is bent that way, if they're overly sensitive to that, I, I try to be mindful of it because empathy for me is really high and intuition is too. I usually refrain from making any suggestions about improvement with those folks. And instead I'll just try to spark some curiosity in the conversation to, to aim for an ideal outcome. And sometimes it can be a game of what if, where we talk about, you know, what, what might the very best outcome, what, what might that look like? Which also leads to a conversation of, well, Hey, how can we make that happen? But some people, truth is most people are happier with that conversation than they are with getting right to tweaking or fixing something. So over the years, I have learned to adjust my approach. I don't give up how I'm naturally wired, but I do lean less into it because I'm more mindful of the approach. So leaning into less gave me the inspiration and desire to lean into being more mindful of how other people might react to how my natural wiring is. So whether you're a plate spinner who hops around frenetically or whether you're a sober minded person who easily sees the potential for improvement or something completely different, like I do, this is not about changing you. It's not about urging you to change how you're naturally wired, but it is about helping you think about how you impact and influence other people. Cause you know, growth and improvements, the whole really that's the deal. The bottom line is our collective needs to lean toward less about us and more about others. Now tap the brakes that I know it sounds altruistic and it is, but it's practical and we benefit. Think about the person that you love the most. Go ahead. Think about them. For me, it's my wife. Now she's nothing like me in some very important ways. She's a lot like me in some other very important ways, but in those ways where we are different, it is easy for me to lean into myself and to resent her for not being more like me or for not understanding and surrendering to how I roll. And I was guilty of that in the early years of our marriage. Sometimes it still happens. I got to stop and I got to pay attention. When I think more about her and I think about her preferences, her natural tendencies, then I'm able to adjust my thoughts and my actions. I don't stop being me. I don't surrender my natural talents and characteristics. But I happily, after I stop and really think about it, I lean more into doing what will be most helpful. I don't always succeed. I'm a work in progress. But by leaning into less of something, it can afford me, in this case, the opportunity to lean into more of something else that's frankly more important, and that's her. So in the case of our marriage, I can, and I have a strong desire to lean more into my wife's happiness. It's not about surrendering my happiness. It is about, I can tell you increasingly as I get older about finding where I find my happiness. And I can tell you something. I can tell you what I've learned after almost 45 years of marriage. It's genuine and it's real. There's, there's a big path to more is less when it comes to investing yourself into the happiness of another human it, there it just is for me it's a matter of focus on which one is going to be which which is going to get less which is going to get more and we can think about what might deserve less before we can do much about what might deserve more or we can reverse it this is the great thing about it you can do it you can do whatever you want you can think about what deserves more 
And by looking at that, okay, well, if I'm going to focus more on that, then this other's going to have to go. As I want to do, I've kind of buried the lead. Because the real point of all this is our delusion that nothing has to give. I don't have to give up anything. That's how we get swamped. That's why our closets are exploding. That's why so many of us are spending almost $50 billion. You heard it right. $50 billion on self-storage. Experts expect that number to soar to almost $65 billion by 2026. About 38% of Americans used self-storage last year. And the average customer is spending $90 a month. And are you sitting down? According to storage industry stats, the average self-storage facility has a 92% occupancy. 92%. That means all these storage places that you see, they're mostly booked, but we're so special. We can have it all. We don't have to sacrifice anything. We can have, we can take every phone call. We can return every text, every email. We can chase every entrepreneurial endeavor. We can pursue every possible romantic relationship Yes, we can have our cake and eat it too, or we can try. So we do. We try. Every shiny object, every ball of yarn enters our field of vision, gets our attention. Every phone buzz, every ding gets our attention. According to Duke University, a study that they did, it takes 23 minutes for us to regain our focus after an interruption. 23 minutes. You're in the zone. You're enjoying the flow. You're doing whatever it is you're doing, and you're losing track of time. Text pops up on your phone. You immediately, you grab your phone, you check it. Now you've stopped doing whatever you're doing. Flow's gone. You're not in the zone anymore. That disappears. Doesn't matter the subject of the text because now you're thinking of something else. Likely related to the text. Maybe you text back. Maybe there's a link in the text. Well, you got to click on that. What's this all about? We've all done it. We all mostly do it every single day, many times a day oblivious at the price we're paying because we don't think we're paying a price. Instead, we assume this, this is how life happens these days. I mean, besides everybody else is doing it. So it's clearly working. We're going to make it work, but it's not working for any of us. What if we're all just following each other, falsely believing that this is how it has to be. We're lemmings (laughs) today. I'm encouraging us to stop long enough to just question what we're doing. To ask ourselves, is this really working well for me? And if not, then why don't we examine and figure out how we could operate and improve it? Let me tell you why this is an important topic for me right now, why I hit the record button. It's been a longstanding challenge for me. I first read the book Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience in 1990. And in that book, the author defines this effortless Zen-like state of concentration where you lose track of time, you can fully express your skill level, and at the same time, you're calm, you're focused, and you're often happy. Now, a whole lot has been added to his work since 1990. He died some years ago. Lots of other books and content have been produced showing us that focused, intentional effort is highly profitable. But most of our days are full of something much different. Rather than any Zen-like pursuit, most of us look like squirrels darting around at every sight that, and sound that startles us. Some months ago, I came face-to-face for the umpteenth time with a person who loves to spin plates. He would consistently call me on the phone, begin a conversation, only to be interrupted by a text message, some other phone call. 
often within the first 30 seconds of him calling me. Oh, I need to, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it was. Oh, I need to take this tech. Oh, I need to, here, let me call you back. And most of the time, almost a hundred percent of the time, just hang up. Off he goes. Now, who am I to judge priorities for somebody else? I have no way of knowing if the interruption is urgent or casual. What I did know is that he selected a time to call me. I didn't call him likely a reason or a purpose for him calling me at that particular time. But the interruption suddenly and always became more important. And after it happened a few dozen times, I began to wonder if every interruption was more important than whatever else was on his mind or agenda. I didn't take it personally because I, I didn't, it didn't have anything to do with me. Well, not at first. I started connecting dots that he's just likely foregoing whatever is on his agenda at any given moment in time in order to pursue whatever interruptions come his way. Months and months of watching this forced my conclusion. And it was only then that I really began to realize how disrespectful it is. And as an old retail animal, a guy who ran retailing companies for years, I likened it to the person standing in the store. This has happened to you. You're standing there at the counter. You're waiting to be served. Maybe you're waiting to pay and you're having to take a back seat to some random phone call. <laughs> Stupid, ridiculous, right? I never tolerated this as a business leader. I mean, the person who's gone to the trouble to come to see us in person, they are more deserving than the phone call. So for me as a business person, it was not about abandoning either one of them. It was just about, we need to give them both superior service while we recognize that the person right in front of us, they are the most important person. I spent hours and hours and hours and hours, probably boring my staff to death with being present, be present. We have all likely been served by that easily distracted person. Makes you feel really important, right? I mean, here you are face to face and they're kind of looking over your shoulder and they're looking around and it doesn't all matter equally. It can't, it isn't all, all equally important. Yes. There are sometimes things that are urgent and sometimes the things that are urgent, you know what? They're not important. You're in the zone. You're in the flow. Text message comes. Gotta grab it. I gotta see it. It's a TikTok video shared by a friend. Oh yeah, it's plenty funny, but it doesn't take priority over what you were doing or does it? Some things have to matter less so that other things can matter more. Some people have to matter more and other people have to matter less. Some people deserve more of our time. Some people deserve less. Some pursuits have to matter less because others matter more. Maybe it's time. I'm just putting it out there. Maybe it's time to get in deeper touch with what we really want more so we can start leaning into what deserves less. I hope it was valuable. I hope I didn't waste your time. But I always hope that. You want to know the irony of this episode? You may have thought about it already. As I was preparing, before I ever hit the record button, it was just, it was just an, um, it was a massive, overwhelming thought for me. 
it is not lost on me that this may be more episode than a normal episode, just length. And it's like less is more. And yet, I don't know. I mean, it's going to, it's over an hour. (laughs) And immediately I thought of the, it's attributed to Mark Twain. I'm not sure who really said it or wrote it. Well, they would have said it. They would have written it. I would have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have time. It takes a long time to embrace less. It can. Because as Michelangelo said about David, yeah, you know, David, David's in this big slab of granite or marble or whatever David's made out of. I just, I had to chip away the parts that weren't necessary. That editing stuff in our life can be really difficult. It's not easy to let go. It's not easy to lean into less because it seems counterintuitive. Because we live in a culture, we live in a world where more, well, more is better. I'm just urging you to consider that may not be true. Less may be more. We're boogieing on down the highway, man. We are, we are purging. We are continuing to make things happen. Some pretty massive life changes ahead for me and Rhonda. Changes that we are selecting to make. Choices that we are making. I'll do an episode at some point about this whole encore chapter of life. There's some big events that happen in your life that, you know, you just hit these time marks. Time matters. Timing matters and talent matter. And as you try to put these three things together, you find yourself wanting to make some choices and some changes, and we are. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. My name is Randy Cantrell. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio, version 2.0.